Sangue! other creatures and welcome to the dangerous tweets podcast where we discuss controversial tweets about black culture mental health relationships etc from real people on this internet to see if we can't figure out what they were trying to say and maybe find some healing i'm your host stacia i'm here with my co-host mr juice it's everybody's favorite caveman zeus the juice how you guys doing out there Sorry. Wow. Um, you know what? Let's move on. How are you, Mr. Juice? I'm actually great. I um, My spirit is better. I'm enjoying myself for uh, what appears to be a wonderful week of new enlightenment and new adventures. That's wonderful. Well, um, episode 14, we're here. Season 2, episode 3. Got it. Okay, whatever you guys want to call it out there, we are here, and today we have a very, very special guest with us, my sister from a similar mister, uh, Emily. What up, humans? And that's it, that's her. (laughs) Um, So we brought Emily on today because we love guests, and also because Emily is a professional Christian, she um, works with a missionary organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And with the topics that we want, we're going to discuss today, we thought it'd be interesting to have her theologically Christian worldview in it. So basically, she's a part of the Jesus crew. That's correct. She's a card-carrying member of the Jesus crew. Oh, she has season passes to heaven, guys, if you guys ever need them. She's oh got those. My. I don't know if you can transfer those. I, I think they're transferable. Oh, we'll have to look at that. Anyway, welcome to the show, Miss Emily. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. having me here, y'all. Jesus Christ! So tell us what you do for a living, because I don't know if I explained that right. Yeah, you know how people have um, just questions about religion, different religions, um, or questions about what does this mean, why do y'all believe this, um, or I grew up like this, is this true? Um, so what we do is we're there to answer people's questions and help them know more about just who God is or understanding the Bible, then we help them um, grow in their relationship with God if they're interested in that. And then we teach them how to go and tell others if that's something that they want to do also. Okay, so are you a Jehovah's Witness? No, I am not. What makes what you guys do different than the Jehovah's Witnesses, the witness I? Besides the fact that you believe in Jesus. To be fully honest, um, I don't know that much about Jehovah's Witness of what I do know. Um, Crew doesn't commonly go up to people's doors and ask questions. um, And we aren't super pushy. Um, We just want to be there to answer the questions that people have. Um, So, yeah, I can only speak on what I know. Awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing what you have to say about these topics here today. But before we get into that, we want to bring in this week's consent lyric. Do you have that for us today, Senor Juice? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so uh, this week's consent lyric, I had to take it back a little bit. Um, there was a song once called Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado and Timbaland. If you was born after 
2005? You really don't. Yeah, I would say 2000. Oh, you really don't understand. You wouldn't uh, know Nelly Furtado. You wouldn't know Timberland. Uh, but you know it is what it is. If, so. Unless they're watching Versus. Yeah, no, but, I feel like they could still get Timberland. Didn't he come out with a song with Drake? Wow. Please, tell us more. <laughs> Wasn't no. it Say Something? Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. But that that's the, the latter of Timberland. Oh. Like, most of his greatest work was already done. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the end of the renaissance of art and Michelangelo and everything. But If you can't tell, Emily is my younger sibling. Are you sure? I thought you were the younger sibling. By looks only. Based on her maturity. She's such a mature person. Consider it. So... Timbaland said this, <clears throat> hey, I can't keep my mind off you. Where are you at? Do you mind if I come through? I'm sorry, I had to pause to see if the, the audience got it. So, shout out to Timbaland. You know, he's basically hitting the shorty up like, yo, what's good? I'm like, you know, I've been thinking about you. I'm trying to pull up. Do I got a yes, a no, a maybe so? Shout out to Timbaland for that one, you know? Yeah, that's a really great consent lyric because you should ask before you show up at someone's house. So. Yeah, otherwise you look like Roger from Sister Sister, and that's not really a good look. He was a kid, though. You're not going to look like that. You're going to look like a creep. Mm. A whole creep. Yes, guys. No more creeps in 2020. Who what, Who played Roger on Sister Sister? Marcus Houston. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you know. Girl naked. That, that guy. Yes, that was one of our first consent lyrics. Yeah, you know. Gotta love a good Marcus Houston consent lyric. Anyway, all right. Thank you for bringing the word of the consent to us today, Bishop uh, Juice. All right. So um, it's been a little lighthearted up until now. But as many of you know, if you are listening to this podcast, and if you don't know, welcome and thank you for tuning in. But um, a black man in Minneapolis, Minnesota, named George Floyd, was killed over Memorial Day weekend by a cop who decided it was a good idea to kneel on his neck until he was unresponsive. And there's a video of this that has gone completely viral um, because why is that happening? And black people are completely traumatized as usual. And even since we put together the list of tweets and topics for the show, a lot more has happened. Um, things are burning. People are angry. And things are happening. So... Before we get into the first tweet, I just want to ask you guys, how are you feeling? How are you doing with everything that's going on? Whoever wants to jump in first. Let's let our guests jump in first. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good overall. Um, there's just been a lot building up in these last few weeks. I'm really grateful for um, the friends that I have to be able to process this with. Um, but I think one thing I've really just had to take on was staying away from social media, um, keeping away from a lot of the news just because there's so much coming in and just realizing that I'm not able to process all of this right now, all of this really heavy information. Um, so yeah, I think once, once I kind of took that moment for like self care and just distancing that I got a lot better. So being the caveman that I am, I process everything really fast, and then I just act on it. So this week alone, we've had um, various conversations, um, black caucuses, black symposiums with people of the community, um, inner city folks who you know are you know from these established communities that experience you know racism and police brutality on a daily basis. We even had a white cop on our Zoom, 
yesterday. Shout out to him for pulling up and talking to us. Um, so just in speaking with people and kind of letting them vent and letting them have a place to speak on things and letting people who don't necessarily have the same background as others come together and share their thoughts and uh, be in a place where you can really vocalize how you feel. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm just ready to allow people to, you know, vent as much as possible and then we get out there and do what we got to do. Cool. That's good to hear that you guys are not as stressed as I've seen some people share on the internet. And I think everybody kind of handles this differently. Mm -hmm. um, it might hit you at a different time. I know for me in 2016, the summer that Alton Sterling was killed, Philando Castile was killed, the dude, I can't remember his name, that shot up the um, Dallas cops, um, that all happened in one summer. And that was mad stressful for me, just especially because of I had just moved to a new state, and it was just a lot. Um, and then my co my white coworkers who talk about every um, current event were completely silent on it. And it was just, like, bothering me that nobody dared to even bring it up or ask how I was doing. Not that that's their job, but still, it was just, it It was a tough summer. So now that I'm working from home for this time, I, I'm doing a lot better with it. And I'm, yeah, I've I've gotten to a point with, all of this stuff that humans are going to be humans. Do you and feel like you're numb now? Do you feel like like you're numb to all of this? I don't think I'm numb. I there's a level of desensitization, but it more than that, it's like how do I explain this? It's like you're used to the pain at this point. No, I'm not used to the pain. How I look at it has changed. Before, I looked at it like, this is a problem that needs to be fixed. We need to fix this. Why are you doing this? All of that. Now I've evolved, and maybe it's a, a defense mechanism, but I feel like I'm at the place where they're never not going to be racist. This is never not going to be an issue. I guess it's just like, I'm tired of being hurt and bothered by it, and it's like, just burn it down. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't I don't want to try to figure it out anymore. I'm like, w the the answer is separating us. Like, us doing our own thing. Like, and that's a terrible place to be, I guess, because the goal is, like, for us to all be equal. But at the end of the day, someone's always going to be want to be on top of someone else. Like, if you are the majority, you're always going to exert that power. There's never, because humans are human, there's never going to be a place where everybody is open with everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Even within the black community, you got, we were split up between the darks and the lights. It's like, there's always somebody that's going to try to be on top. So I just, how culture is, how humans are, I don't see there being any solution to it. So why stress out about it? I look at it like uh, those uh, diabetes patients of the 90s that used to have to like prick themselves where you, you, when you first start pricking yourself, like the pain is there. Like it's in your face. Like you can, feel it you everybody can see it but then after a while you've learned how to mask the pain so much to where you have a poker face of the pain so it's like and then you start to realize like nobody gives a shit about your pain when you're pricking your finger if we're being brutally honest like people can say like oh i'm sorry you have to prick your finger but then after a while it's like well they do it every day so mm. obviously they've gotten used to it when in all actuality they haven't gotten used to it but because they feel the way that you feel like oh i'm supposed to get used to it they can mask the pain so it's like other races have 
already tweeted out these wild tweets and these wild Instagram posts and these wild Facebook posts where they're just kind of like, well, black people go through it all the time, so they might as well be used to it. And I'm just like, well, I'm putting on this facade that I'm used to it to mask the pain that's really going on. But when I'm talking to my black brothers and sisters, you know, when we're in East Baltimore, West Baltimore, when we're in D.C., when we're in Capitol Heights, when we're in Suitland, you know, we're talking about these things like, you know, these black babies are out here crying like they're really upset about the situation. So it's one of those things where it's kind of like at this point in time, like I've just learned how to mask the pain perfectly. So uh, it is what it is. But we can jump right into the show. Yeah, let's jump into it. So the first tweet that um, we're going to read today comes from Xavier Delo. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and Xavier says, I don't necessarily have the bandwidth for real life issues at the moment. So I'm just going to focus and tweet about things that are entertaining. I'm going to be real. I'm just going to jump right out the gate and say it. Um, I didn't like this tweet at all. Um, this tweet is one of those tweets that is very similar to the things that um, the rich black folk are doing or the rich white folk are doing. It's kind of like you're saying like, okay, since I don't want to deal with it, I don't have to deal with it. I, I'm I'm sorry that you guys have to deal with it, but I don't have to deal with it. So I'm going to just move on with my everyday life. Like people of the past did not have this uh, wonderful uh, recreational device where they could just get away on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. So when things happen in their hood, they heard about it all day, every day until they did something about it. So they didn't they didn't have the ability to just tune it out like some of us do. So I think it's a slap in the face to everything that's going on. For you to say, oh, I just don't have the bandwidth for it, so I'm not going to deal with it. Like, do you think Martin Luther King and Malcolm X had the bandwidth for it? Or A. Philip Randolph had the bandwidth for it? Or Marcus Garvey had the bandwidth for it? Or Harriet Tubman had the bandwidth for it while they were doing the things that they were doing? Do you think that they really wanted to fight against white people 24-7? Like, do you think, like, they brushed their teeth in the morning, like, today's a great day to fight racism and social inequalities? Like, no, they were like, man, I ain't trying to deal with this, but I have to. Like, this is what has to happen. Like... If, if that were the case, if I were able to say, you know what, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with my son, or I don't have the bandwidth to deal with what goes on with the mother of my child, or I don't have the bandwidth to deal with what goes on with the white people at my job. So instead of dealing with them, I'm just going to do something completely different. Like Life would be a whole lot different, but we don't have that opportunity. And during a time where all of this is happening and we need all of everybody at the forefront to man this because we're only 13% of the population to have one black person say that is kind of like it's kind of that's kind of fucked up what do y'all feel um reading this i i actually understand what he's saying um of just not having the bandwidth to do it at that moment and that's the hard thing about tweets is that we don't know what else is going on in people's minds um, around that? Because he could just not have the energy for it today, but was going to do it tomorrow. Um, but yeah, just reading this tweet, it is a little bit difficult um, to see that, you know, you're in a place where you can't deal with real life issues because you're so overwhelmed or have so much going on. Um, which I think I was talking about this a little bit earlier of like, being able to have kind of that that healthy space to say what can I take on right now and what can I take on that is important to me and that I value and kind of go full force at that and I think when we're taking on so much we finally get to this point where 
I just don't have the bandwidth to do anything at all. Um, so yeah, what about you, Station? I I definitely think, as with all tweets, we have to say this. There's room for two things to be true, and also we are only going off of less than 280 characters. So that being said, I think there's a different way to look at this. If you think about how in in everything that African peoples who were brought here to this country to be enslaved, everything that we have gone through, um, I think the way we have gotten through a lot of it is through humor and comedy and entertainment um, and those types of things. And so I can definitely see, if you look at it from that angle, I'm sure a lot of times on the plantation, a lot of times in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, up until now, but specifically in, in the past, people did not have the bandwidth for the reality of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they might not have said it, they might not have tweeted it, but it was the reality of the situation. And so how did they get away from that? They played music and danced outside of their shacks on the plantation. You know, they created these underground clubs and bars where they would, the jukes and everything, they would go dance and all of that. They, we're hilarious. Like as a culture, like we we are just good at so many things, especially in the entertainment realm, because I think that's our escape from reality a lot of times. And the reality of being a black person in this country is if you just focused on it all the time and went hard on it all the time, you wouldn't make it like, because it's too much, it's ridiculous. And the trauma that we go, we weren't meant to go through these types of traumas. And so the way that we overcome that is through not having the bandwidth for, or, or not even when we don't have the bandwidth for it, we go and find outlets to re, regain our strength. And so if that is what he meant, or that's just one way to look at it, um, I, I would agree that, you know, that's the reality of the situation and that that can be helpful in, in some situations. Um, but at the same time, I can definitely see your point, Juice, about how it's kind of a luxury not to be able to care, I guess, or to not have the bandwidth for it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that whatever Xavier needs to do to make sure that Xavier is is good in that moment, I support because I don't know what it's like to be Xavier. I don't know, you know, what all he has gone through up until this point. And if he needs to just focus and tweet about things that are entertaining, then go for it. I'm not saying that people are not going to be like, there are more important things right now, Kim, to him on this internet, but that's a choice that he made for himself. So, yeah, that's that's my take on it. I'm just be real with you. Like, looking at this tweet, this tweet serves no purpose. Like, you didn't have to tweet this. Like, you could have just went on with your day tweeting because this tweet says more than what we're reading. Like, you could have easily just went about your day tweeting things that are entertaining. Like, you could have easily went on about your day and just went right into the entertaining tweets, right into retweeting shit, right into doing what was necessary for the tweets that were going on with you. But for you to tweet that, it's kind of just like, it's a slap in the face to for, for everybody that's out there that literally don't have the bandwidth, but they say, fuck it, it's 10 o'clock at night, 
we're in the streets. It's two o'clock in the morning. We're in the streets. It's eight o'clock at night. We're getting tear gas to our face. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. The police are beating on us. You think they, they don't have the bandwidth for these issues either. So why would you tweet that? Like, that's just, that just seems like super elitist at the moment. But that's I, how I feel. Go ahead. No. I actually um, disagree because I think right now, at least for me, when I, when I look on social media, it speaks more to me, the people who don't post than the people who do. Um, in terms of like, if you aren't, if you're just posting about, oh, I'm at the beach, blah, blah, blah. And like, you aren't posting about this huge thing that's going on. I'm questioning you more um, than other people. So it could be that he tweeted this to say like, I realize what's going on. I understand y'all's pain and hurt. Please don't think that I don't care. I just don't have the bandwidth, which you're right, Juice. Like that is, that's a totally privileged point that he's coming from. Um, one random question that I have is like, is the benefit that we've been given, not benefits, but the, the work that like our ancestors put, put in now giving us the benefit to, to not focus at all or to be able to get away. Right. And it's just one of those things where it's kind of like at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I, I'm going to firmly stand by what I believe in and saying like this tweet should have never been tweeted. Like, because if I would have just got on Twitter and I would have saw them just tweeting happy go lucky stuff, like, I mean, everybody's going to have an opinion anyway, mm -hmm. but that would have let me know right then and there, like, okay, you clearly don't want to tweet about this. Like you're black. Mm -hmm. You're, I'm not going to say you're socially ignorant. I'm not going to say you're any of that stuff. Like you can look at celebrities right now, like B Simone and Desi Banks that are like intentionally tweeting like ignorance out here, like intentionally <laughs> tweeting stuff that goes against the grain. Like if he were to just go about his day and just tweet stuff. I, I wouldn't even be mad. I wouldn't. I'm, I'd be like, all right, cool. Like, obviously, this person just did not want to tap in. I'm cool. Some days you don't want to tap in. But to tweet, hey, guys, I don't feel like tapping in, so I'm not going to tap in. Like, imagine if someone in your family was like, hey, I don't feel like being a family member right now. Or imagine somebody in your organization say, hey, I don't feel like spreading the word of God today just because I'm just not mentally tapped in. Like, instead of them just taking a day off, mm -hmm. instead of them just sitting at home and being in and of themselves and doing what they're doing to come out and vocally say, Hey guys, today's just not the day for me to do this. Like I'm just, I don't have the bandwidth for it. Like that's kind of a dickhead move in, in my book. Like I can't speak for everybody else's book, but in my book, that's a super dickhead move. Yeah. I feel you. So my question is, do, are all black people now required to I guess it's, it's an expectation for all black people to be very active in what's going on right now. I'm going to let the guests speak first on if she believes whether all black people should be involved or not. Well, I was asking you more so because that seems to be the sentiment that you shared oh, about yeah, having yeah, yeah, the yeah, bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. If you have any drop of black blood in your body, you should be out here doing what you need to do because this is about us right now. And what is doing what you need to do look like? I mean, whatever, so I look at it like this. When you have a Thanksgiving dinner, right, or a Christmas dinner or a family gathering, everybody has a, one goal to make sure that this is a very enjoyable moment for the year. That year, you've had so much bullshit happen with death in the family, maybe divorces, things that have gone on, bad grades, good grades, ups and downs, whatever. So your job when you all get together is to make this pop and make it happen. Some people are in the kitchen cooking. 
Some people are cleaning. Some people are outside setting up tents. Some people are outside setting up chairs. Some people are on the grill. Some people are at the liquor store buying bottles. Some people are copping the weed so that the cousins can go take that walk down the street so they can all get high. Like, everybody has a, a, a unified goal at this point. We just want equality at the end of the day. We want everybody to be looked upon as equal. We want everybody to be treated fairly. We want peace. So in saying all of that, how do we all get there? Knowing who I am, I can march these streets with my AR-10, my AR-15, my Ruger, my 6R. I can march the streets with my 223s and my 5.56 NATOs. I can do that. Some people don't have guns, so what do they do? They can march arm in arm with us and, and let their voice be heard. Some people make really wonderful banners. Some people are out here looting to make sure that the products that we steal from these Fortune 500 companies are then submitted to the less fortunate. Some people are out here just putting everything together. Like, whatever that you can bring to the table. I seen a tweet where a chick was twerking in front of a cop car so the cop car couldn't drive by. Whatever you could bring to the table, bring it to the table. Because us being a 13% of America means we're very limited in our own resources already. But we're so dope. We're so wonderful as individuals, as human beings. Look at every black person that you know. They're great at something. Like, I'm not saying that other races aren't great at something, but black people are supposed to go above and beyond in every aspect. Serena Williams is supposed to go above and beyond. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Urban Magic Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal, Tiger Woods, Mike Tyson, Deontay Wilder. Like, all of these people are supposed to go above and beyond. That's what's supposed to happen. So if we all put our resources together, no matter what you're bringing to the table, if you're bringing something to the table, we need to do it because right now is the time. Like, I keep seeing these shirts, we are not our ancestors. Okay, prove it. Because our ancestors out there sitting in whites-only restaurants, getting beat up by police, getting pepper sprayed, getting hosed down, getting dogs chased on them. Now is our time to show them, like, hey, we got all of these new platforms. We have all of this technology to do all of these better things. Let's show our ancestors who are smiling down on us or, or whatever you believe in in the afterlife. Like, let's show these folks, like, hey, we got it down here, and that's what we need to do. I think that's a hard thing because it depends on from whose perspective. Um, from yours. Oh, man, from mine. Um, honestly, no, I realize, or maybe, or maybe taking Juice's analogy, like maybe someone's job is to just sit there and hold down the, um, the things that go over the table, like the little, um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. (laughs) The tablecloths that go under the table. And that's obviously not as strenuous work as going and grabbing all the chairs or going, um, grill up all the food um and maybe that's their role right now because they just need to sit and rest so but uh, there is no room for you to not have any bandwidth i think there is personally i think there's totally room for you to not have any bandwidth uh at this moment and if you don't and if you continually don't maybe you need to relook at why don't i continually not have bandwidth at all not have got it why <laughs> why don't you yeah, continually not have oh, right. I just had to take some time to process it. Yes, because um, maybe there's something else deeper going on within you that you don't continually, that you continually do not like have the bandwidth, bandwidth to deal with anything. The else. issues that affect you, yeah, your yeah. family, your mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So my whole thing is this: like, I, I think that there is a disconnect within the community where people think like the people that are marching and rioting and protesting and looting 
just like have this free time where they're like, oh, mm. you know what? Today's a perfect day to do this. Like, no, like I think we're all suffering from not having bandwidth. Like that's what it is. And to use this as an example of bandwidth, like you might not have the best bandwidth at work, but guess what? You still have to get that work done. You can't tell your boss, hey boss, our bandwidth is trash. So I can't send this Microsoft Excel spreadsheet out to everybody on the upstairs floor. You know what your boss is gonna say? Okay, print it out on the printer and walk your ass upstairs and do it. Like, it's the same thing with what's going on right now. Like, there's a 74 year old woman out there marching right now whose son has died from police brutality. Grandson has died from police brutality. Brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, nieces and nephews have all been through this multiple times but she's still marching out there and she doesn't have the bandwidth for it. She's on the verge of just giving up, but she knows this is her moral duty. She has to do this. Like there are people out here that are like, damn, not again, but they know that innately at the end of the day, like this is your job. This is your calling. Like you're, you're someone who white people look down on. You have to stand up for us. Like all of these minorities that are coming out to help us, the witches and the Amish people and, you know, it's somebody dressed up as Batman to come out here with us. Like everybody's moving together in unison, like in the UK and Australia and Bulgaria and Bolivia and Mexico and Trinidad. Like they're all coming together because it's like at this point in time, it's like, what else is there to do? Like I, I get what everybody's saying about not having bandwidth, but also understand that like at this point in time, like, you know, it's your moral duty to step up and say something, do something be hurt and I just think that this is just not the thing to do to just be like alright I'm just going to stand down gotcha so since we have Emily here I wanted to bring in a tweet um, that was dangerous for a multitude of reasons so if you're familiar with um, Christian, Christian hip hop or Christian rap you might know the name Derek Minor and so Derek Minor um, it, okay if you know anything about Christian hip hop or Christian rap you will know that the audience for Christian hip hop and Christian rap, as you might have guessed, is a lot of white people. Um, it just is what it is. They, Emily, why, why would you say that is? I don't even know like why that is. I think it's the same as, as like non-Christian culture, where like a lot of their revenue or a lot of their um, their interest comes from white people. It just seems like. Like, if you think about it, like, Chris Brown and, like, all these other rappers, Cardi B, like, a lot of their money comes from white people. It doesn't come from black people. We just usually don't associate with white people to see that y'all are listening and paying for tickets and doing everything else just like we are. Right, but you would, I would say that for hip-hop and rap, mm -hmm. that's not Christian, there are a large number of black fans. Oh. With Christian hip-hop, it's not the case. Like, there's... Yeah. The it's not even even like it's like eighty seven percent white fans and mm -hmm. and a very minimal like anybody a lot of people on listening to this are not gonna know mm -hmm. who Derek Minor is just because nope even if you are a Christian just because we don't you listen don't, to Christian yeah. hip hop like, that's not the topic I just want to introduce who Derek Minor was and explain the background behind Christian hip hop audiences so you understand why this tweet is dangerous so on Twitter he's at the Derek Minor and he said. Imagine being smart enough to teach the Bible, lead a church, and write books, but not being smart enough to tell if years of unarmed black people getting killed by cops is racially motivated or not. Shrug emoji. So, Emily, I'm going to let you jump in on this one as our uh, uh, Christian correspondent. Ooh. <laughs> Man, I don't even like that uh, that title because 
You are speaking for all the Christians. Oh, and I don't think they would want me as the representative. Um, so yeah, just my, my first thought after hearing this or reading this is it has nothing to do with, with if you're smart or not. Like people know what's going on. I, I don't believe there is a person that does not understand how racially motivated everything is right now. It's just your decision to not acknowledge it, to not call it what it is and to get beyond it because it's a system that's benefiting you. Um, so that's one where it's, I don't know if that's what he's trying to bring up, but just reading that first off is like, yeah, buddy, like, let's just, again, let's just call it what it is, which is something that often Christian rappers have a problem with doing. It's just like calling it, calling it what it is. Like people are just racist. Like people know what's going on. Like, so what are your thoughts about his sarcasm? Cause this is obviously mm-hmm. sarcasm. Do you think he should have been more? Up front, like what what are you saying about this tweet? Yeah, I think he should have been more upfront personally. Like You don't think this was strong enough? No, no. Because then I feel like this just breeds arguments in the chats and, and for you to not even be straight up about what's going on, like I'm sorry, maybe I'm not the best at explaining, but he's just not being upfront. He's just not saying this is what is happening. There, there's a discrepancy here. I think doing it in a jokey manner makes people makes people makes be able to have an out, yeah. or make it seem like it's a joke when when it's not. Okay. I think he did it the right way. Um, this is why I think that because when you read the tweet, you obviously understand he's coming from a sarcastic point of view. Mm-hmm. But how many people come from a sarcastic point of view? when it comes to the opposite side of these things. Like, how many times is uh, atheism, is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. Discussed from a sarcastic point of view. How many times is the opposite side of police brutality where, like, black person gets shot, black person gets killed, sometimes to a black person from a white cop, and these white people are like, well, oh, maybe if he wasn't doing such and such, imagine thinking that you can steal a pack of cigarettes and think you're going to get away with it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those things where, like, I understood his tone as soon as I read it because it's literally him saying, look, if y'all can tweet this stuff out here on this side, I can definitely tweet this stuff on this side about what's going on. I totally feel what he's saying. And I mean, he could have took a different approach, but this approach, it stings. It hits everybody. Everybody has to respond. Everybody looks at it. And whether you're from the Bible Belt, whether you're from up north, whether you're from another country, you read this. And if you feel strong about your, you know, perception of Christianity or religion, you have to respond. Mission accomplished. He did what he was supposed to do. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I I, I like the sassy the sassy ass uh, in in this comment because it's it's like we're tired. You can tell that he's fed up with this shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He's like, imagine being like the irreverence and the sassiness in this. I don't like using sassy because a certain group of people use that. What's the what's the right word? The the jerk enus. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I I mean. It's very, 
dare I say, unchristian, you know, because of course the oppressor is going to be like, that's not how you approach your brothers and sisters. But it's like, (laughs) no, like you haven't spoken up this whole time. So shut, like you are not allowed to come in here now and tell me how I'm supposed to behave and how I'm supposed to deal with the bullying when you have been silent during the bullying. Get out of my face. And I feel like that's definitely the energy he brought with this because it's like, Y'all, y'all want to play dumb? Let's play dumb. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, I know... I've seen a lot of uh, Christian rap artists, black Christian rap artists, coming out and saying things that are not... I don't, I don't know if Lecrae has done it. I haven't looked. I don't follow him. But um, a lot of the ones that I know that their audience is, is core, is at the core of white people, have said things that I know are going to piss that audience off. But I love that they're saying it anyway because it's showing you that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about the money. It's about the justice, I guess, is what I feel like they're saying. And I'm here for them taking that stance. There's one thing. There was another, um, these Christian artists who I believe they're, at least one of them is black. um, And they posted the video of a um, unarmed man dying this week. And they got a message back pretty much saying the same thing as people always hear, like, just shut up and sing. Um, if you can't do that, like, who is this? we'll find a way to do it. Let me... It like Bethel or something? No, no, no. Uh, but in the same type of, like, genre. Mm. I personally don't follow them, but somebody... Mosaic, Jesus culture, transformation. Wait, it may be Mosaic... No. Yes, I know so much about these um, Christian rappers, and I just feel so out of the loop. These aren't rappers. These are, um, like, church worship teams. Dang, I feel, like, so out oh. of the loop. Well, it's dingling music, as you like to call it. Oh, oh what, the, what the, what the, what the, no, dingling is, like, the, the dingling, oh. like, the guitar okay. and all <laughs> that. Not, like, That's not, the sound it makes. Right, not dick music. Like, we don't, we don't promote dick music out here. We actually promote the opposite and of dick music. And the fact that you, Mrs. Crew, Lord. thought that dingling would mean anything else than the sound. Uh, I'm going to have to write into Mr. Crew about this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need to bring him into this. I think she understands what's going on now. I also want to say that at this point in time, we're at a point in the show where it's time to get very argumentative. I have a question. Can I ask a question? Sure, because it's going to lead to an argument. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the church's response to everything that's going on. A weekend that can be the evangelical church or the black church. Well, I'll say this first. Um, sorry, Molly, we don't share the same sentiment. But uh, I'm going to actually step out here and say uh, I'm very disappointed with the church. Um, I do not like the fact that there are many churches out here. Doesn't really matter which like denomination it is. They're out here like, oh, peace and brotherhood and follow the way and God is listening and blah blah blah. And it's like I'm just sitting here like, okay, God was listening during slavery. God was listening during segregation. God was listening during the Great Depression. God was listening during Emmett Till. God was listening during Jim Crow. God was listening during Rodney King. God was listening during Eric Garner. God was listening during Freddie Gray. God was listening during Trayvon Martin. God is listening now during George Floyd. Like, of course, God is listening. But I think that God gave us five senses and common sense for a reason. I think God gave us our own free will so that we could do 
what we needed to do. For all of the Bible thumpers out there that love quoting the Bible and love quoting scriptures, there's a myriad of scriptures out there where somebody stood up and took a stand. Like, did David sit there while Goliath was being a dickhead to everybody and, and killing people? Like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and wait for God to tell me. No, that motherfucker took six rocks and said, hey, motherfucker, take this. Bang, bang. You dead. Like, it is what it is. Like, when Samson was out there blind and hemmed up, you know what I'm saying, on those pillars and was like, God, give me strength to do what I need to do. Then he just sit there and was like, well, I'm just going to wait until God gives me my eyesight back because this is what I need to do. Like, no, like, that's not how this works. And I think that people are so ready to just sit there and hide behind the Bible and hide behind Christianity and hide behind excerpts from the Bible. It's like, bro, like, go be David out there. Go slay your Goliath. Go be Samson out there. Go knock your pillars down and, and destroy these soldiers that are around you. Like, stop being scared because if you really believe in the Bible, now would be your time for you to step out here and be like, oh, I'm going to act this within the Bible and say, yeah, it's my time to, to, to make these moves. Like, do what you do, blood. That's just how I feel about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't really disagree with a lot of things that you said. I think one thing we don't seem to remember is that God moves through people. That when he created people, he said, y'all be fruitful and go multiply and fill the earth. Like he has given us dominion over the earth to go and make it look like it is in heaven. So for us to sit back and say, oh, I see injustice going on, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Like we aren't doing our duty. Like we aren't moving as God has called us to move. Um, and I think if you if you stray away from anything other than that, then I would just question, are you actually listening to what God is saying? And if he's not telling you to be the ones to go out on the streets and riot, what is he telling you to do? Because I have not known God to be silent in the face of injustice. I've not known God to be silent when when people that he created in his own image are being hurt by other people that he created. Yeah, we agree. I would, I think we need to call it out for what it is. For too long we have played with it. We have asked the question, well, why, why, where are the evangelicals? And I'm talking particularly about these mega churches, these white evangelical churches. We have been playing with it, asking questions, trying to figure out, okay, well, well let me try to see it from your eyes. The time for that is over there's been enough of that we need to call it what it is it's white supremacy white supremacy your gospel is built on white supremacy your gospel is built on white jesus your gospel is not built on the actual gospel but what works for you and what keeps you in power so at the end of the day the reason why we're not seeing these evangelicals come out and speak on the injustices. The reason the movements are not happening from them is because of white supremacy. They don't want this to end. What's more important to them than the gospel is being white, is being privileged, is being on top. So at the end of, at the end of the day, I guess now it's like I don't expect you guys to show up until you the gospel that you're reading is the real gospel and not a gospel tinted through your American evangelical white supremacist lenses, period. Well, y'all know how I feel about church. If I walk into church and your Jesus paintings are white, I'm walking out. That's just how I feel about it. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong for that, but that speaks a lot about what you believe and what you're preaching out here. And I just want the truth to be preached, obviously. Um, I think that when it comes to these white evangelical churches, um, I 
totally believe that what they stand for versus what Christianity stands for are two totally different things. Like, if you look at it, a lot of the things that go on in the Bible, it's just, you know, it's pretty funny how, you know, a lot of these big mega churches are like, hey, I'm I'm the, the pastor, I'm the bishop, I'm the whatever the big one is. What's it, bishop and what else is it that's oh. up there? Yeah, what, whatever, you know, those those big guys. They're like these super rich, fancy, they do whatever they want, whatever they want. And everybody else just bows to their feet like, oh, this is the man of God. So he's kind of almost God. So we're going to like, nah, I'm not here for all that, bro. Like I treat everybody the same because at the end of the day, if you're not God, you like me. Like we were all made in his image. So who, why, why would you think you're bigger or better than me if we're all trying to seek the kingdom of heaven? So it's like once I see people just acting too big for their britches and that's in like white church, black church, Nigerian church, Jamaican church, um, purple church. It don't matter, bro. Like, if I see you just being too big on yourself, it's like, I'm going to step away from that altogether because I just I just don't believe it. So that's just how I look at it. But Yeah, and I think I've heard churches often use the term of reconciliation. And I think that you, you have to realize that something is broken to even want to reconcile it. So if you aren't even realizing that something's broken and actually looking at it, then then how can we even talk about reconciling it? Or how can we even start with let's all come together and be one if you don't even go go into the depths of how we got here and not being one to begin with or right. what has happened? Um, but I think, again, that, that will bring up the fact that white supremacy is a thing and the fact that, oh, wait, we're, we're put on top. And because we're put on top, that means that somebody else has to be on the bottom. Exactly. And, that's, and that's not something that they want to do because... Because power, because money, because influence, because greed, because all these different underlying things are going on, and that's really what's fueling them. And it's interesting to see, or or to really question, are you actually serving God and what you were called to do from his word, from what he said when he created humans, or are you now serving people? Ooh. Are you now serving your fear Ooh. of not wanting to let people go because of what's going on, or not wanting to shake the boat but yet when you look at Jesus, like homeboy was saying such wild, true stuff that was making people mad, making the leaders mad. Can we also agree that Jesus was poor? Like that man was brought up in a manger. Like he was born next to cow poop. Like this man, I don't think he ever owned a pair of Jordans. Like I don't think he knew what Aeropostale was. I don't think he ever had the polo on. Like this man wore Walmart clothes and everywhere he went and did everything he needed to do. I'm just saying. And he didn't die like, you know what I'm saying, like a, a Nipsey Hustle or something like that. Like, that man died on a cross, like, yeah. for public display, for people to, like, make fun of him and say all this wild stuff. And, like, for these other churches to be, like, not even humble about stuff. Like, not e like you drive a Bentley as a pastor? Like, bro, like, you're literally the opposite of what Jesus was. Like, I'm not about to even look at what you're saying or think about what you're saying. Because if Jesus was alive right now, Jesus would have a bike. He'd have those stupid sandals that are tattered. You know, his jeans would smell like crap. You know what I'm saying? His hair would be untidy, unkept. And he would be spitting facts everywhere. And a lot of people wouldn't want to hear what he says because he's not in the flashy stuff. Kind of like... How in the Bible, people didn't want to, really want to hear what he said, but he was out here doing the work of the Lord. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm spitballing. I'm sorry. Let's no, get back on topic. No, that's real. I, I would just say, I, the fact that the white evangelical church is not at the front of calling for reparations hmm. is the problem. There's, there's a phrase that we have um, in crew 
that says like God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And often, again, like if, if large organizations like ours that continue to tell people, oh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan, but yet you won't validate us here, what you're really saying is God loves you and he may have a wonderful plan, but that doesn't come until after you die. Exactly. But that won't come until until you aren't here anymore. Because right now this is our time exactly. and we get what we want here. And, and that's not the gospel. It, and that's not, that's just not good. I just think that if you're white, and you have to come all the way to my neighborhood to protest, that's fucked up. Why are you not protesting in your mm. super duper fancy white neighborhood? Like, this is what I don't understand. You guys get dressed up, ready for war, and come to the hood to go to war when you can go to hood in your own backyard? Because in the hood, the hood don't leave the hood. That's their backyard. At the end of the day, when y'all done breaking their shit up and burning their shit down and throwing things and not cleaning up after yourself, guess who have to clean that up? The hood. But y'all go back to y'all fancy neighborhoods and your super high-income houses with your fancy uh, everything, and you ain't got nothing to worry about. You don't lose no sleep. And then you tweet like, I protested today, and but you ain't with us. You're not for us, and you're not by us. You're just out here. Like That's how I feel about it. The white evangelicals, are not ready to have this conversation. They're not ready to be uncomfortable, which, by the way, is the whole point of the gospel, to flip everything upside down and do it the opposite way. Love your neighbor, turn the other cheek. Literally these things that are uncomfortable and hard to do. But that aside, they're not ready to have that conversation. They're not ready to be uncomfortable. And so I'm done looking to them to be allies. I'm not I'm not hoping that they show up anytime soon because they are in the white supremacy complex themselves. They're not going to show up. They're just not going to show up. They're not going to do it. A few churches might, but the majority of them are silent. The majority of them did not bring what happened to George Floyd up in their services this morning. The majority of them don't care. The majority of them might not even know. So at this point, I I look to the black church, even though they have their issues as well. But I'm I'm not looking I'm not looking to the white evangelicals to show up anymore. They're not going to. Yeah, as long as you know, you know, because they think that white is right. And if you black, you on crack. So, you know, it is what it is. Oof. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot deeper-seated issues. Like, as I've gone deeper into this and as I've, like, been a part of this Christian organization where I've heard more stuff and than I've it, ever heard before. And is this organization is majority white? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Oh. And there's continually discussions about that. And, and we have had our own issues where when leadership has pr- tried to bring it up, people revolted, called names, said mm. all this different stuff. And this is amongst other members of your same organization, supposed to be doing the exact same thing as you, but yet that begins to come up because there's a deeper issue. If we keep on playing on the surface, then yeah, everyone's chill as long as they know that I'm going to continually be in power and my best interest will continually be put in mind. But once you begin to kind of dig that up and say that may not be true anymore, that's when you see everybody's real character. That's when you see what people really feel. Okay. Yeah, so keeping it on this on this church topic, let's roll right into this next tweet. Uh, woo, so this is a video. I'm going to play the video. Um, uh, you guys have probably heard it or seen it. You might not have. Um, but it's a video of, of Pastor Michael Todd um, from his relationship goal series that he just recently ended, I believe. Um, and then also his Relationship Goals book came out. So the internet has had a lot to say about Pastor Michael Todd and, and his views on things. So let's listen to this uh, tweet and then we'll discuss it. 
We can go places and hook up. What you don't know is that every time you hook up, you are joining to that person physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's supposed to be something that's never broken apart. And so that's why when you just hook up with that person and you rip it away, they always take a piece of you. Because it was supposed to be a... Yikes. And so if you're hooking up with them and you rip away, and then you hook up with them and you rip away, and you hook up and rip with them and you rip away, you will never be everything God called you to be because people are walking around with pieces of you. Oh, I'm preaching good. We can go places in. All right. So who is going to kick it off? You got it, Jess. You sure? Yeah. Uh All right. Pastor Michael Todd. Um, I'm not going to say you're an idiot um, because I think that would undermine everything that you stand for. But what you're saying belongs in the 1930s like church. Like just listening to what he said makes it seem like you're only supposed to meet 40 people in life. Like we're humans. Technology has allowed us this wonderful opportunity to touch and agree with everyone all over the world. I have Twitter followers in Nigeria. I have Instagram followers in Japan. I have Facebook friends in Canada. Like, I can go meet them and go chill with them whenever I want. Having said that, I have way more opportunity to connect with somebody than I've ever had, um, than our ancestors have ever had. Like, when you look at your grandparents or your great-grandparents that lived in, like, Biloxi, Mississippi, or lived in, like, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or lived in like Auburn or something like that, like that lived in these places where like there are smaller towns within smaller towns within smaller towns. Like you knew the same 40 people growing up. Like that's that was your community. You had the milkman, you had the bread man, you had the meat guy, you had the, the, the car repair guy, you had your best friend who probably got shipped off to go to war, you had the guy that went to go play sports, and then you had everybody else that kind of filled in to, to the community. But you didn't have the opportunity to go out and advance yourself in other different places. Like you were within your community, so that's who you knew. You that you you were born and raised and died with who you knew. So of course, back in those days, the person that you fell in love with, you didn't have the opportunity to fall in love with anybody else because you were growing up with the same forty people. Like you knew the same forty people. That was it. If your granddaddy wanted to go cheat on you, if your granddaddy wanted to go like start a new life. You know what he did? He went down the street where he knew you wouldn't go and he started a new life. Like that's how primitive we were back in the day. So for you to believe that there's only one person in the world for you to quote unquote attach yourself to and then when you meet somebody else, you're ripping yourself from them. Well, that says more about your character because why are you ripping yourself from someone after having a wonderful experience with them? Why can't I have a great experience with you and we decide to go our separate ways and still be attached to ourselves on a positive manner? Like, why can't I say, hey, thank you for the wonderful time that we had with each other. But I see you're going in this direction with this person and I'm going in this direction with this person. We can still be connected because there was once love there. For you to say that you're ripping yourself away from somebody to go to someone else and ripping yourself away from somebody and that there's, what do you say, that there's pieces of you all around? Hello, that's how life works. You create memories with people. You're a piece of somebody now. Like, I taught a kid how to shoot a basketball two weeks ago. Guess what? 
I'm now embanked into his, I'm embedded in his memory. If he goes to the NBA, guess what he remembers? Mm -hmm. When I was seven, this random guy taught me how to shoot a jump shot. Did I rip myself away from him? No. So, like, your word choice is trash, bro. The thing that you're saying is trash. Like, just say you don't want to have sex with a bunch of people or say what you really mean and say that you can't have sex with a bunch of people because maybe that's just not who you are. And that's okay. But don't sit here and condemn other people for being able to have a promiscuous phase in their life where they can go around and sleep with a bunch of people and learn from their mistakes. Because for some reason, the Christian faith believes that you can't learn from your mistakes. Like... Once you're a slut, you're always a slut. Or once you're a drug dealer, you're always a drug dealer. Like, why can't I learn from everything that I've done and grow apart from somebody and still be attached to them in a positive manner? I just don't understand. But maybe I'm just spitballing. I don't know. You got anything that you want to say, special guest? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I read this tweet um or listen to the video and first of all i always have to say this as a caveat it's hard to go off of a 30 second clip when we have not been able to hear this man's whole series or whole sermon that being said um i think where he was coming from on like being ripped apart is that a lot of i've heard other pastors say this where where like a man's semen is the cement between those two people so i was wondering if <laughs> if when they say rip apart he's saying like if y'all are supposed to be bonded together that it's then ripping you apart for those two to go apart um but yeah i think a lot of people's like sentiments over this were just like that's not true and there's not a biblical base for it so are you speaking off of a biblical base are you speaking off of what you believe or whatever it is like it needs to be clarified and with that i agree um where he can have these views but you just may need to say like through my experience with relationships i have seen that when you're sexually active with someone and then you leave you always remember them and it's hard to let go or whatever else it when you clarify that um rather than making it seem like this is a um this is something that we have seen happen in the Bible, seen happen as other people's experiences. Therefore, it is fact um, that we have seen through that. So, yeah. I, okay, we're not going to argue. We're not going to argue. I just have a very hard time understanding why he would even say that. Like, did he run out of things to say and like pull a popsicle stick out and was like, sex gotta talk about sex in this sermon like let's get it like i really want to understand where this dialogue came from because none of it makes sense from any type of a level like i grew up in church you know i low-key went to like a christian school for like two days before i fought and got kicked out like i've been there like i've been head of the you know the, the musicians board and i've been in choirs and i've been to a lot of sunday schools and stuff like that and i've never ever ever in the history of ever heard anything like this from a Christian standpoint. I also, everybody knows I'm kind of poly. I believe like, you know, because society and technology has allowed us to meet all of these people in the world and the fact that we now have the technology to touch all 7 billion people on the planet. Like, I don't think that there's necessarily one person for you. I think that there's like multiple people for you that God placed down and you kind of just pick and choose. Like you can have like Jack, John, Jacob, and Michael and be like, oh, well, I rock with Michael, so this is my guy. And you know what I'm saying? Like, that's who you picked to be your soulmate, even though you had multiple people. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I feel. So when I hear like the words that he's using, like there's a lot of negative connotation that I see that preachers use to like get their point across. And it's like, I hear other people talk about things. And like, if you don't have to use negative connotation, one thing I've learned is if you have to put down something to big up something else, that, that's a form of hatred, low key. Like that's not, you know what I'm saying? I don't have to say, if, if we're about to go get food and our choices are McDonald's or Wendy's, I, I should just be able to say, oh, I want Wendy's because Wendy's is good. I shouldn't have to say, oh, McDonald's is trash, so let's go to Wendy's. If I'm doing that, that's me low-key hating on McDonald's to get my point across about Wendy's. Mm-hmm. But if you say, uh, I'd rather have a home-cooked meal than this, or I'd rather do this than that and not put down something else to big up something else, I can respect you way more because you're not coming from a place of bias. Like You're coming from a, like a very sound place. So when he uses words like ripping apart, and that's why you have all of these pieces around you floating around, and God can't use you if you're like... How many people did God use that were total wrecks? You know what I'm saying? And I think that's what we miss out on because listening to, sorry, listening to the end of the sermon, um, which I, right now I'm at a place where I'm not really listening to sermons online, but from the people I've talked to at the end of it, he does say like, God makes us whole again, that through our experiences, God continues to make us whole. Now that can be debated again on, Okay, you have people who in the Bible who are married to multiple women, having sex with multiple women, and God didn't have to say, oh, I need to make you whole and you need to stop having sex with multiple women. It was it was a thing. Um, so that could be debated too. But even speaking on how, um, like, just seeing that he does go back and clarify this. And I think something else that you said was interesting was, like, you never heard growing up people talking about sex or anything like that in that type of way or didn't hear it preached like this. I think it wasn't even till recent that I started hearing preachers actually start, especially black preachers, actually start preaching about sex in general or start preaching about relationships in general because this is his relationship series, um, which I think is a huge step. But in that, we can be so quick to just, oh, someone preached an amazing sermon. Let's just run with that because it sounds good rather than going back and being like, wait, where is this in the Bible or where is this pattern or where is this? this heart posture and is this actually a thing because low-key I feel like he's just regurgitating what other people have said without checking it or without making sure that it's been a thing because I've heard other people say like when you're together with someone and then y'all leave like you're ripped apart and if you it's so easy to to you know keep going down the line and not to go back and do your own homework and make sure this is actually in the bible and not just something that you've heard before well coming from someone who's been a few you know, I've had a few promiscuous days in my life. I'll just say that um, when you go from person to person, you don't rip yourself from them, but there is a part of you that stays with them in a sense. And if you're on that positive aspect where like you're giving out positive energy, that person wants to keep that positive energy about you. There are people from my past that I, you know, have had intercourse and relations with that will hit me up as friends and will go out and we'll hang out and there's no problem. And they'll say, hey, I saw this and it reminded me of you. And it's always a positive thing. It's not a negative thing. So it's like, did I rip myself from them or did I leave something for them to have in remembrance of me? So when they're having a bad day, they can go back to this and say, hey, this is where it is. This is what I look at. I also think that it's very funny that you said how like, you know, pastors of today are preaching about like relationships and stuff like that. But it's like, 
we're losing sight of a lot of things of our past and creating a pathway for the future. Like, we were watching Ricky Smiley earlier today. This might be random as hell, but we were talking about how they used to be like a hallelujah choir, how people used to march in, how church was more so of a grand representation of the community. Like, you got excited to, to go to church and things. Like, you got excited to hear the preacher like there were things that were talked about that you just were ready to hear and like a lot of these things people don't want to receive because i'm gonna be real if you say hey come to my church the pastor's gonna preach today on relationships yeah i'm gonna miss that because i really don't care to hear about anything that involves relationships right now all things considered like i just don't think that this right here like you're right the 30 second clip is a 30 second clip i just don't think that this 30 second clip is going to age well i don't think it it represented what he had to say well and i'm gonna pass it to station because you haven't spoken in like a month of sundays well thank you so much guys for giving me a chance to speak um it's an honor uh giving all honor to god to the deacons the ministers on the staff and to our first time guest um visitors and friends, visitors and friends. i'm not gonna say one way or the other. i'm not gonna say he's right i'm not gonna say he's wrong because the truth of the matter is i don't know Mm-hmm. I grew up in church. For those who have listened to the previous episode of the podcast, you kind of know that history. Grew up in Baptist church. I was taught a lot of things. I was painted a narrative in that context that I have learned as I have grown is was painted a little funny. Not actually painted based on what was said what the actual message is, but more so based on the experiences of the people who were sharing it. Mm. But in that, it was painted as though this is straight from God, not this is straight from my experiences with God. This is is what God is saying. Just because you're tempted by a big booty doesn't mean that women should not wear pants at church. That just means that that's something you struggle with that you need to deal with. But to, to bring down a law, if you will, on everyone because of something that you struggle with is kind of the experience that I had growing up in church. So that being said, I am in a place where I'm in the middle seeking the truth of whatever it is. So I can't say whether this is right or not because I'm still trying to figure out, I'm still trying to parse out the the things I was taught that weren't true from what's really true and, and, and distill it down, if you will, to just the truth. Um, that being said, I will say that because I'm in that place, I second guess or I question or I have a healthy amount of doubt about anything that is said by uh, a pastor or a religious entity. And that's just because of my experience with them not telling the full truth or telling a truth that fit what they were trying to accomplish. So listening to this, my question is, I'm not, I'm not angry or I'm not like up in arms about what he said, saying it's wrong, it's wrong. I'm asking questions. Okay, yeah, what's the scripture? Like maybe I do need to watch the whole sermon to figure out where this came from. What this theology that you're building your message upon, what is it based upon? And then once you get the scriptures or the, the um, I guess, the, the theology that it's based upon, asking the question about, okay, is this taken in context? So that's another thing. A lot of people will pull mm-hmm. words 
will pull scriptures, will pull sentences, paragraphs out of context, out of the cultural context, because this book, the, the 66 books in the Bible, were not written to Americans in America in 2020. It was written to the Israelites. It was written to the Romans, the Corinthians, the Mes- a lot of other people in uh, 50 AD. So after I find out where you're getting this from, are you translating it correctly? Are you taking it in context? Is that what the actual uh, book is saying, what the actual scripture is saying, or have you taken it after it's been translated into English and then turned it into what you need it to be? So... I will not say whether I believe what he's saying is right or wrong. I think there might be some validity to it, mm-hmm. but I will say that I don't know to what extent that is. And in my exploration, I am a, I think we we get condemned for those who grew up in religious context. Before you were even capable or aware of what's happening, you're already being programmed to feel guilty and to feel shame. Yeah. And that's never a good place to live life out of because... You're never, you're never able to learn at that point because you're always shaming yourself and feeling guilty about what you're experiencing and learning. But if you actually read how Jesus went about things, that wasn't his MO. He wasn't out here shaming and making people feel guilty. He brought them into a place where it was like, this is so much better than anything I had before. I'm going to follow you. It wasn't because he was like, you should be ashamed of yourself. He was just spitting truth and that truth resonated with people so that they didn't even want to go back to what they were doing. Um, and that's a lot of, uh, that kind of goes into shadow work. If, you, if you've ever heard of shadow work, like integrating your shadow, not denying that you have this side, this human side, if you will, but integrating that. And so anyway, all that aside, I will just say that I think everybody should go and do this research for themselves and then on top of that if you do talk to God just ask him what he's calling you to do because I think a lot of times pastors will say blanket statements but that might be what God is calling you to do but holy the Holy Spirit or your spirit guide or whatever you call it might be calling me to do something different and even though it doesn't look like what he's called you to do that doesn't mean that what I'm doing is wrong So, okay, there's a lot that can be said there about principles and, you know, what's right and what's wrong. But at the end of the day, I personally am going to mind my business, drink my water, listen to what I'm hearing from God and follow that and not try to tell other people, well, this is what you should be hearing from God because I don't know what he's speaking to them. Also, the funny thing about all this, and, and you just mentioned like what God is speaking to certain people, how he's speaking different things. I really want to remind everybody when the Bible was created. And the type of people that we were dealing with when the Bible was created. Like, you have to remember that during this time, Jesus has come back. Jesus has been on the earth for 32, 33 years. He's died. We're moving on with life. Everybody at that point that are listening to Jesus, that are listening to God's word, that are listening to the higher power, are believing that, you know, all of this is ending soon. Like, soon, soon. Like, within their lifetime. Like, the way that they preach it, the way that they put it in the Bible. Like, oh my God, guys, any day now, God is coming back. And 2,000 years later, here we are with no update, no iOS update of the Bible. No type of, you know, rebrand of the Bible. None of that. Like, we're still reading the word that was left for people who haven't been here for hundreds of years. Like, 
I get that we use these excerpts to kind of like, or these anecdotes to kind of like, you know, go through our daily lives and stuff like that. But we have to kind of understand that like the Bible wasn't really written for us. It was written for a specific group of people. And I'm a thousand percent sure all of them are dead. So when these pastors preach from like certain books, like and the Bible says, ah, you got to do this. And I'm like, bro, you weren't even alive when this was like an important piece of information. You know what I'm saying? Like growing up, we were taught that there were certain things we could and could not do that now we found out, you know what I'm saying? Like growing up, you put Vaseline on your face. You put all of these different chemicals and products on your face that now you know like, damn, we shouldn't have done this at all. You know what I'm saying? Like I ate pork from the time I was born to the time I came to America all the way up till I was 10 years old. And it wasn't until later down the road I started doing my research like, oh shit, swine eat this and they're basically the poison of food. Like maybe I should stop eating swine. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, we're still using these books from these people from forever ago that still believed that the earth was flat and still believed that if you wore different denims and clothing, you could be hexed. Like you could be a witch and stuff like that. Like people that didn't really believe in science and medicine and now we're at this age where everybody takes medicine. Everybody believes in science. Everybody has moved on to technology. Everybody drives a car. Like all these things that were not even a thing back then. It's like, how much can I take from the Bible literally? You know what I mean? Like when these preachers are preaching, like the Bible said this. And it's like, bro, you drive a Bentley coupe, bro. And you live in a four-story house and you eat any and everything that you want. And you take pills to make you feel better. Whereas people back in the day when they didn't feel good and they knew they were going to die, they prayed about it. Like we live in two totally different spectrums. Like welcome to the real world. Like that's just how I kind of feel about it. But I went off on a tangent again. I'm totally sorry, Beyonce, for taking your mic time. No, I think one one thing, there's one uh, book in the Bible where the writer is writing to the other group of people pretty much saying, like, this isn't going to end as soon as you think, so here's how you carry forward. Right. Um. So even seeing that, that there's certain ways that we're supposed to be carrying this forward, that we're supposed to be going, and, and the point... I think we, we've lost the point of us having this book with us here now. And it's not to say what specifically did they do so that we can look just like them and get to heaven. I think the point is, number one, like heaven isn't the goal. God is like being with God is. And then more than that, um, more than that, like, are we taking the principle? And it's just like both of y'all have been saying, like, we've we've lost the principle and we've been so focused on the nitty gritty. What does this say? Am I doing exactly what this says or else God isn't going to love me because I've been conditioned out of fear? We're losing the principle and really what God is inviting us to. Um, like you're saying, Stacia, I grew up in the exact same church and it often felt like this is what you have to do or else rather than God saying, I'm inviting you to something greater. I'm inviting you to this. Do you want to come? And if you don't, that's your choice. Rather than if you don't, you're a piece of crap and mm. you are not a good Christian and I won't love you the same, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Y'all got them Bible Belt accents. I heard so much y'all and oh my <laughs> goodness, good grief, goodness gracious. I just... In our natural habitat. Hey, you know, it is what it is. You know, once y'all get to talking about the Lord, it's, you know, that accent comes out. Hallelujah. You know? All right. Last week, because this thing has ran on a little long. Um, Emily, I'm going to let you read this one. If you can just give a shout out to whoever tweeted this. Oh, you set me up. Uh, Dang, she got to read. <laughs> <laughs> A-shat. 
um, underscore. <laughs> it can be. I'm sorry. I know that I'm butchering this. I think it's pronounced Aisha. No, no, it's not. I mean, it can be. The T can be Aisha. silent. Aisha. The T can be silent. Aisha. Okay. Aisha. A can be? All right. All right okay, okay, let's go. Inferiority masquerades as superiority. Narcissism buries itself in victimhood. Sadness dresses up in anger. Self-doubt looks like humility. Oof. Mm, I'm gonna let y'all go first. Oof. I'm gonna let y'all go first. Cause to me, no, I'm gonna let y'all no, go, go first. Ahead, go ahead, go ahead. This looks like a bunch of BS to me. I'm gonna tell you why. This is this just looks like BS. Like narcissism buries itself in victimhood. Sadness dresses up in anger. Self doubt looks like humility. Like what? Like humility looks like humility. Like I don't even know. Like maybe I'm a caveman. So. I use words that mean things, like that mean it's actual thing. So like for me, anger is anger. If I'm sad, I'm not angry. I'm sad. Those are two specifically different things. Anger is an emotion that expressed where I cannot believe this happened to me and I want to explode in a, in a hint of rage and fury, where sadness to me is there's hopelessness and sadness. Like sadness is what you use when you realize like there is nothing that you can do. Anger, there's something that you can do. But sadness is like, there's no, I don't get angry when someone dies. I'm sad that someone dies. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, what I'm If it's something that I can do about, though, I can get angry about it. I don't get sad when my son breaks the TV. I get angry when my son breaks the TV because there's the opportunity. I can do something about it. I can sit down with him, chastise him, let him know, like, hey, this is what you've done wrong. Like, self-doubt and humility, like, what? Like, what are you? Ugh! This doesn't make any sense. I don't. I don't. I'm gonna let y'all go. Let me help it make sense for you. And I can only speak from my experiences, as is always the case. I'm gonna start with self doubt looks like humility. And this is. I'm gonna give you an example of how this has affected you. How my self doubt masquerading as humility has affected you. So last year, you spoke to a a bar. Um, about us doing the podcast live there. And the podcast had been up, maybe we had like 10 episodes and you had already talked to them. You were trying to set it up for us to get in there, trying to set a date, blase, blase. And I... Shot us down. And I said, no, we're not ready. We we really need to prepare. We need to make sure that we go in there and that we have everything together, blah, 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 blah. That looked like I was trying to... I don't know if it, if it was humble, but it's like it. My self doubt in that instance masqueraded as me trying to control um, or overcompensate or make sure that everything's in line. I'm just trying to be organized. I'm just trying to make sure that we present ourselves well. When in reality, it was my own self doubt about our abilities, about my ability. But it doesn't always come off like that, or you can mask it with another emotion. I will say, Erica Badu says this on, I forget which album it was, but at the beginning of one of the, one of the albums, she has like an interlude that says that basically all emotions stem from two core emotions, love and fear. 
And it's basically like a tree. Like you can trace every emotion back to either love or fear. So for the example, sadness dresses up in anger. Okay, you're angry. Why are you angry? Go a step back. It might be because so-and-so broke the TV. Why are you angry that so-and-so broke the TV? Because now I can't watch TV. Well, why is there a problem that you can't watch TV? And if you trace it all the way back, it's some fear or it's something that has to do with love. In this one, maybe sadness is not always dressed up in anger, but a lot of times if you take the time to trace it back, the anger will be hiding sadness or it will be hiding another emotion. I'm going to agree to disagree and I'm going to tell you why. Let's go back to your first example, which is a beautiful example. You may think that your self-doubt looked like humility, but to me, your self-doubt looked like self-doubt. Because yeah, yeah, as and we, that's because you you know me. Yeah, but like as we, I, this tweet right here, I'm going to speak on like, I, I'm it's, it's for me. So for me, I don't know what your self-doubt looks like, but I know what self-doubt looks like to me. You see what I'm saying? Right. So when we said, hey, we got this podcast let's go here and do this and you were saying all of these reasons i knew you were just doubting the podcast i knew you weren't being humble i knew it was nothing yeah and i I don't think that was i'm sorry to cut you off i don't think that was the best example i I was just trying to find one that would relate to you well let's go back to this this happens this happens a lot to me at least in in my past i've now that i am trying to work my way out of that self-doubt it's it's not as, as as prevalent and I don't have like current examples, but even like in my early career, it's like you just put your head down and you get the work done. And it's like, oh, she's so humble. Like she doesn't raise her hand and say, oh, I did that. Like I killed that shit. It looks like humility because you're like, oh, I'm just here to help and here to support. But it's because you're afraid of your own voice. You doubt your own voice. And that happens. Maybe I, I can't speak for everyone, but I've seen it a lot of times with women where it's like, we've been taught to kind of just like play this humble role. And it's really because we're, we're not sure if we are worthy enough to enter into those conversations. Um, and like I said, that's not everyone. And a lot of us are coming out of that mindset as we get older, but that is something that a lot of professional women speak about as they start their careers. Like, so I can only speak for the cavemen, right? As leader of the cavemen, I say all the time, I'm the last of a dying breed. I'm a Neanderthal. I'm from an era where we thought totally differently. And while everybody's conforming to society, I refuse to. So I'm the last of the Mohicans, right? So a lot of these things that I'm, that I'm reading about this tweet, for you, they can be interchangeable. You can dress them up how you want to, right? But for me, there's an absolute, like... When you say inferiority masquerades as superiority, right? How? Let me, that's exactly one that I want to talk to you about. I think that is perfect for white privilege and white supremacy. They know that if they allowed everyone to have an equal chance, they wouldn't be on top. That's why their inferiority masquerades as superiority we're better than you and we're going to make sure that it appears so and they won't let anybody even enter into the race with them because of the very fact that it's inferiority masquerading as superiority if you were really superior you could give everybody the same fair chance and you would still be superior but that's not the case um i hear what you're saying right but then there was like this Olympics and Hitler was like, we're the perfect people and we're going to compete against everybody and we're going to show you guys 
how superior we are. So let's enter in the Olympics. And they got washed. That's one example. But I'm talking about America right now, what yeah. we're saying with white supremacy. I mean, I can give a bunch of different examples. Like, but, but that, I think in your example, everybody was then given a fair chance. They didn't cheat. They didn't give the, the Germans a, a 15 mile head start and then say, all right, everybody else go. They were like, yeah, we are better. Let's let's make this equal. So he really did think he was superior, and he got showed up. But I'm talking about when the inferiority is masquerading as superiority. These people know that they are not the superior races, which is why they have to play this game where they stay ahead at all costs. I'm going to say the t- most terrible hot take that's going to come back and bite me in the ass 30 years from now mm-hmm. when I'm a millionaire and I'm doing what I do, and y'all are going to look this up. I don't think that white people believe that they're inferior and that's what masquerades their superiority. I think a lot of them are really stupid. And I say that because a lot of them do not believe. I had to explain this to somebody on the Zoom yesterday. He was a white cop from Florida. He's within the basketball community. So I said, white privilege to you is you being up 25 points to start the game. Now, if we were on equal playing fields, the score would start zero to zero. White privilege is you starting 25 to zero and believing everything is perfectly fine. Now, here's where I say that white people, most white people are stupid when it comes to this. They don't see an issue with that at all because they think that that's how it's supposed to be. Not out of, oh, we know if the score was zero to zero, you know, this would be this. So we have to be 25. They just believe that growing up, the rules were white start off with a 25 point lead. No rhyme, no reason, not asking why, anything like that. Like, if you notice, when we have certain conversations, there's a why behind that. Sometimes we can answer, sometimes we can't. When you ask why the sky is blue, there's an answer for why the sky is blue. The sun reflects off the water, which reflects off the blase, blah, blah, like all of that, right? Ask people of different races why certain things are in their culture. They don't have an answer for it. When you ask white people, why y'all eat chitlins? Why y'all eat pig feet? Somebody grandma gonna bust out the door. Baby, let me tell you something. Back when slaves was, the white folk got all the good stuff and we got the bad stuff and we put it in a pot and we boiled it and that's what it was. That's we we know our answers to everything that traces back to our roots. Innately. White people don't know the answer. And I'm only saying white people because they're the majority or the quote-unquote superior race and things of that nature. When you ask about the Confederate flag and things of that nature, you can be a complete historian of the Confederacy and not understand why black people have it rough versus white people. Like, it's one of those things where they just are not intelligent enough to grasp the concept of they don't know that they're in theory. You see I, what I'm saying? I, I agree with you that they don't know, but just because it's subconscious does not mean it exists. And most times, because it is subconscious, is the reason why it's so mindless, the reason why it comes so easy. Because those of us who are mindful, who say, I'm experiencing a feeling, let me trace this back to what the real issue is. If you don't have that mindfulness, it's going to be even worse because you really think that you are superior. Like, even though we can all see that Everybody that's looking at it from the right angle can see this is your inferior, like this is why this is happening. They don't know that. It's very subconscious. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. And and for example, with the self-doubt, looks like humility. You can see the self-doubt from a mile away. But to me, as the person who was thinking, oh no, it's humility. Like I'm not, I don't see it because I'm not looking at it right. I think it's the same thing. It's a, it's a case with all of these in right. my opinion. And I think that for me, because I was... 
taught at a young age a lot about what so at a young age when you're of Nigerian descent or you're a black male you're taught what these emotions are but you're also taught that you're not allowed to feel them so a lot of black men have a grasp on a lot of these things on a lot of these topics they're just taught that you're not supposed to feel them that's why a lot of times when women get in an argument with men men have an emotion men have something that they want to say men want to react in a certain way but they're just like and eh, if you want to come over, you want to come over. Huh? Eh, whatever. I don't care. So it's like a lot of people believe that there's a certain group of us that don't understand. When in all actuality, we do understand. We're just taught not to show that we understand. Or we're taught not to show that this is how we truly feel about the situation. That's why a lot of times when I see self-doubt masked in humility or humility masked in self-doubt, like I can look at it and say, oh, I see that. I'm, I'm I'm here. But a lot of people can't see the forest because the trees are in the way. Yeah. So it's like, for me, this tweet stinks only because I'm from a place where I can see all of this and notice it. Like, if narcissism buries itself in victimhood, right? Why are we allowing this to happen? Why do we play on someone's victimhood if it's really just narcissism at the end it's of the day? It's not always. I think sometimes right, right, right. Not really always, no. But I'm saying okay, okay, when, okay. when, when, when it is when it narcissism is case, yeah. stating that they're the like when white people do this thing where they're like, oh, I, black people say I fear for my black son growing up in this community because one day he'll be gunned down. And white people are like, I fear for my white son growing up in this community because he's gonna be looked at as a predator or he's going to be looked at as a like bro come on bro let's be real this is about black people right now your your son is going to grow up and he's never going to have a gun put to his head by a white cop for being black in a neighborhood so let's not do this you know what i'm saying so it's like i won't even allow the narcissism to bury itself in victimhood because i'm going to call it out right there like listen up you piece of shit this is what it is i, I don't know M maybe the tweet was for someone else but for me it's one of those things where it's like i can't put myself in this situation to wholeheartedly agree with this. Gotcha. And I'm going to say this and then pass it to Emily. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing kind of, I guess, that black male. I don't know if it's all males or black male, but that just perspective, I think it's good to know that it's like a lot of times there is, there might be another emotion, but the person is only taught to show the one emotion um, or no emotion at all. And I will say in response to, you know, just you saying this tweet might not be for you or whatever the case is. I think with a lot of these things, what what we just talked through is that if you are the person experiencing the thing, it's it's very hard for you to see the the true emotion. Right. Other people can see it because they're not in it. Like when you're in it, it's very hard to see. But when you're outside of it, you can say that's what it is. So I would just say for all of us, um, don't always don't don't take yourself out of it. Like I like to ask for feedback from my friends. Like okay, like what is this coming off as? Or just tell me the truth because when I'm in it, I can't see outside of it. And likewise with everyone else, it's like when you're in it, you can't see outside of it. So maybe asking for feedback. Okay, if I'm always playing the victim, could this be because I want everything to be about me and not I'm not willing to to right. have that conversation about accountability and it's not it's not to say that there's something wrong with you it's to say that we all experience this and it's okay to say like oh I might be doing that like let's take a step back and try to figure out how I can be a better person to the people around me right 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 right, right. take it miles yeah um 
I'm going to say sometimes when you're experiencing that, I think that if you weren't close to other people, they may not be able to see uh, these facades either. So they may actually think that you're humble when you're really in self-doubt, but that's because y'all don't have the proximity to know. Right, they've only seen it once. That's all they have to go off of. Yep. Yep, that's all they see. That's all they have to go off of. So I think this is a good check even for like, I sound like a Christian right now, even for our own like hearts to see, okay, am I acting like I'm going to be humble when really like it's just self-doubt and I don't want people to see this or I don't want them to think less of me. So let me just mask it as humility or I don't want to get to the, you know, it's, it's, more vulnerable to say that I'm sad that hurt me than mm-hmm. it is to just be angry and blow up. But that's all. These are states of vulnerability where you feel mm-hmm. inferior, where you realize like, Oh wow. I think a lot more about myself or I'm sad. I'm hurt. Or I have self doubt. All these, all these come from a place of, what did I say? Vulnerability. Vulnerability rather than from a place of like, I'm better. Look at me. This is all about me. Um, so even like going back to what is the core that is going on, you need to be around people that are close enough to you to see this and understand this mm-hmm. when it is you and to be willing to be called out on it. I think a lot of us, okay, I don't know if we want to go here, but I think a lot of people right now don't want to be called out on their crap. Mm-hmm. That whenever somebody doesn't give you what you want to hear or doesn't agree with you, then you're out of there and not willing to say, okay, we can have a disagreement, but we can still be cool. Or you can call me out on my crap, so thank you, because I really needed this, rather than defensive. you shouldn't have said that, yeah. I'm going to be defensive, I'm not going to own up. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, the body really does keep the score. So if Ooh. you really are living in this place, your body will tell you, you will feel that. You cannot keep up this facade forever, especially with people that are around you because they know the truth they see you they see beyond it so the thing is honestly like the older I get which I guess I kind of feel old people now because once you get to that age they do not care like they will just be straight up with you because the time for the bs is gone so the quicker that you can just get to this emotion and be like yo what you said hurt me can we talk about that rather than blowing it up wasting all this time and then we finally gonna get there or can we just get to the point where where you feel inferior and you need to talk about that rather than having to do this whole superiority, let me make everybody else feel like trash. When we can get to these emotions, maybe we'll be a better human society. We'll be able to empathize with other people. We'll be able to say, wow, I go through self-doubt while you deal with narcissism. And we both have our own issues, but let's discuss that rather than everybody trying to look like they got it all together and they're the perfect ones. Baby, look, look here, preacher ma'am. Um... Sadness dresses up in anger. That's another one I think that is very clear right now. Black people are angry. But why are we angry? Because we heard that y'all not treating us like a... I'm sad that my life doesn't... And and like you said, that's vulnerable. To tell somebody that you're sad, especially somebody that has proven that they don't give a Mm -hmm. fuck about you, why would I be open and vulnerable with you if you don't care? So it's hard, like you said, to say, I'm sad. You don't care about my life, and that hurts me. We It blows up in anger, and I'm not saying that it shouldn't blow up in anger. I think it's good that it's blowing up in anger, but I appreciate the fact that at the, at the core of it, it's because I'm sad. Mm-hmm. And I hear what y'all are saying, and I'm not going to invalidate what you're saying. You guys are making great points. However, the last point that you just made for people to be sad 
about what's going on. I think the sadness comes from the fact that somebody's not here anymore. The anger comes from there is a change that needs to be made, so we're going to make this change. Again, I believe sadness comes from a place of hopelessness where it's like there's nothing you can do about it. When your folks die, you're sad because there's nothing you can do about it. Like they're gone. I think when something happens and you're angry, there's something that you can still do about that. If someone punches you in the face, you don't get sad because you were punched in the face. I mean, unless there's nothing that you can do about it. But the, Well, I could be sad that you punch me and, or, then, and then punch you back because I'm angry. Because but, I was sad that you punched me in the face. That hurt my feelings. Right, that hurt but, me. So my thing is, it's for sadness to me, is something that you can't change. Do you right? think they can both exist? That I, sadness and anger can ex- can be in simultaneously exist. I'll say this: I'm kind of in touch with my emotions in a place where I can innately tap into the exact emotion that it is. So it's hard for me to feel sad and angry at the same time. And the reason it's hard for me to do that is because I can pinpoint exactly what it is that has me feeling this way. If you my best friend punched me in the face, right? I'm not going to be sad. I'm probably not going to be angry either. I'm probably going to be like overjoyed and ecstatic and laughing because this was something that I didn't expect. This was wild. Like, let's get to the bottom of this because why would I be angry or upset with you knowing that we still have a bunch of years ahead of us to continue to be friends? Like, let's figure out what the hell is going on and get this right. Now, if something happens that I just can't do anything about, you know, Alton Sterling, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin. I'm sad, deeply saddened that they are not here anymore, right? Yes. I am angered when police brutality happens right now today for the people that are still alive because I can go out there and pull out a gun and shoot at these cops at the end of the day. Like, there's something I can still do about that. That's how I feel. So, in a sense, if you feel that you can have two emotions at the same time i understand it i'm not knocking you i'm not saying you're alien nothing like that i'm saying i'm the alien for only being able to experience one emotion at a time because that's where i force so that's that gotcha respect it all right well this has been an extremely long episode but i think a good conversation especially with everything going on in the world right now um so yeah i think it's time to do some closing remarks, the benediction. Hallelujah. Let's get the um the Christian crew to close out. Emily, would you like to share anything to close us out? Would you like to tell people where to find you on the internet? Do you not want them to find you on the internet? Have you written any books? Anything that you want to plug? Do you want to speak on the woman that was scamming the Christian community? I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry. That was that was bad. I'm sorry. That may Continue. be another episode. Um, you can find me at Emmy Elaine One. That is E M M Y E L A I N E One. Um, message me, giving your thoughts. I don't post that much, but I do be on there. Um, and yeah, if you like to find out more about what I do or um, how to get in contact with someone, just message me. All right. Um, My closing remarks are, uh, you know, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening again. Um, We're back. 
uh, season two is going to have more guests. Um, we want to thank our guests for coming today because you could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be with us. And yeah, that's you beautiful. You could have been with your man, but you was here with us. Spent a couple of hours. All right. And uh, I'm going to let you do what you do best. Any shout outs to the community, to you know our what? fans? Shout out to... Not fans, our listeners. Shout out to the people on Twitter who came at me recklessly the past two days about what's going on with police brutality. Um, shout out to Cops Block on Twitter who didn't understand where I was coming from, but after a great conversation, he understood. Shout out to your boy Waka, who is another white person who totally didn't get where I was coming from until we sat down and had a conversation. Um, I think this time people, I know you're not going to want to hear what I got to say, but sometimes people just really don't understand and you got to bring it to them to their front door for them to understand and that's just all i want to say about it shout out to the new followers new listeners like and subscribe y'all know what to do they should take over all right well that's the end of this episode of the podcast thank you again so much for listening we appreciate you guys we hope that you stay safe that you stay sane that you choose to protest and to take care of yourself and your community and your peoples in the best way that you can and you know how let us know how we can help, if we can support um, by posting any, you know, funds that you're working with or anything like that. And, um, yeah, we'll holler at y'all next time. Toodles. Peace.